Now's the time to open your Bible to the book of Acts and the 20th chapter. Acts chapter 20 for our message from the Word of God this morning. If you're using the church Bible, Acts 20 will be on page 1177. Page 1177. Today's date is April 2nd, 2023. Today's text will be in Acts 20, verses 1 through 6. And the title of this morning's message is The Travels and Epistles of Paul. The Travels and Epistles of the Apostle Paul. And we begin with the story of a man and his wife who were traveling through Florida one day when they saw a sign that said they were entering the city of Kissimmee. And immediately they began to argue how to pronounce Kissimmee. (laughs) He thought it should be Kissimmee. And she thought it was Kissimmee. So they decided to stop for lunch and ask somebody. The husband walked right up to place his order and said to the girl behind the counter, My wife and I can't decide how to pronounce the name of this place. Will you please tell us where we are and say it so slowly that we're able to get it? The girl shrugged and said, Sure, Burger King. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of traveling, here in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is in the city of Ephesus in Asia, but he's about to do some traveling of his own. And the story begins in Acts 20 and verse 1, where we read these words. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples, and embraced them, and departed for to go into Macedonia. Now, to begin with, the uproar that it's talking about there is the one we read about in our scripture reading in the last chapter, where 25,000 people rushed into the outdoor theater in Ephesus and tried to kill Paul for going around telling people that there's no such thing as gods made with hands. The Ephesians worshipped a god made with hands, a goddess named Diana. So they wanted to put 
Paul out of business when it came to preaching that. And I don't know about you, but if something like that were to happen to me, I think I could use a hug. (laughs) And evidently Paul could too, because that's what it means in verse 1 when it says that he embraced the disciples. But as you can see there, those hugs were also goodbye hugs because he was leaving to go into Macedonia. But don't get the wrong idea from that. Paul was not leaving Ephesus because they tried to kill him. As we saw in our message two weeks ago, and in our scripture reading this morning, the town clerk in Ephesus had managed to calm everyone down. So Paul could have stayed and kept preaching if he wanted to. He actually left town because he knew that his work in that area was finished. As you see in your first cross-reference, in Acts 19, 1, 9, and 10. It says that Paul came to Ephesus, disputing daily in the school of Tyrannus, two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord. And hey, once all Asia heard the word of the Lord, Paul knew that his work in Asia was done. And that's why he left Ephesus. As we see in a few verses later in Acts 19, 20, and 21, where it says, So Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. So, Paul was planning to leave Ephesus before that uproar even got started. And he knew exactly where he wanted to go and the places he wanted to stop on the way there. You see, while he was in Ephesus, he had gotten some reports about the church that he planted in the city of Corinth back in Acts chapter 18. And those reports told him how sinful and carnal those believers were. And that got him so upset that he fired off that rip-snorting epistle that we now call 1 Corinthians. And in that epistle, man, he really laid into them. And he also warned them that he was going to come and straighten them out in person, as we see in your next reference in 1 Corinthians 16, 5 and 8, when he wrote them in that first epistle. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia. For I do pass through Macedonia, but I will tarry at Ephesus until 
Pentecost. So, that's where we are here in Acts 20 and verse 1, with Paul passing into Macedonia. But, Paul also heard something about the Corinthians that made him even angrier. He heard that there were some Corinthians who doubted that he was an apostle and doubted that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And these bozos who were challenging Paul's apostleship were saying that, oh, Paul would dare come and show his face in person in Corinth. So Paul also wrote in that first Corinthian epistle in chapter 4, verses 18 to 21. Now, some of you are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, and I will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, not the big talk of them, but the power. Let's see if they can back up their big words. Then he asks them a question. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? Well, as you can see there, folks, he gave the ones who doubted his apostleship a choice. If they accepted his apostleship, he would come to them meekly in love. But if they didn't, he was going to come and use what he calls the rod of his apostleship. And he was going to use that to send some of them home to meet their maker. Like Peter did with some unbelievers in Acts chapter 5. Apostles could do that, folks. I mean, he planned to Kick butt and take down names, as that old saying goes. (laughs) But then, after all of Paul's big talk, he didn't go to Corinth like he said he would. And listen, the men who doubted his apostleship, they had a field day with that. They started saying things like, how Paul would have made a a good politician because he said he'd do one thing and then didn't do it. He said he'd do something and did the opposite. He said he would go to Corinth. And then he didn't end up going. So, Paul wrote them another epistle, another letter in which he said in the next reference, in 2 Corinthians 1, 15, right through to the first verse of chapter 2. He told them, I was minded to come unto you before and to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you 
in heaviness. The ones who were doubting Paul's apostleship were saying that he didn't come because he made promises lightly and then didn't keep them. So, (laughs) imagine their surprise when they read that and heard that it was to spare them that he didn't come. The apostle Paul was afraid of what he might do to them when he, if he were to come with what we call a heavy hand, if he played the heavy, if he came in heaviness. So he did what you and I should do when we get all riled up. He decided to take some time to cool off before going to Corinth. And we see that in verse 2 of our text, back in your Bible now, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 2. And when he had gone over these parts, these parts in Macedonia that he talked about at the end of verse 1, when he had gone over these parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece, and Greece is where Corinth was. But first, that verse makes you wonder what kind of sorry Christians they had in Macedonia that they needed what it calls their much exhortation. But if you know your Bible, if you know your New Testament, and especially if you know the epistles of Paul in the book of Acts, you know that Paul had started two churches in Macedonia. And both of them were outstanding churches. The Thessalonian church is one of them. That's been called the model church. You got a Scofield Bible? Look over chapter, the little heading that he put over chapter one. He says it's the model church. And the Philippian church was the other church he started in Macedonia. And if you've read that epistle, you know that the Philippians were, were so dear to him that they were probably his favorite church. But Paul knew that even those solid grace churches needed exhortation from the word of God. So if you ever get to thinking that you don't need it, (laughs) you're thinking more of yourself than the Apostle Paul would if he were here. You need to be here on Sunday to let God's word exhort you. And I know I say that a lot, but everything God does in the dispensation of grace revolves around the local church assembly just like we have here. And you're going to find that your Christian life is a tough road to hoe without a local church. If you don't believe that, I'll let you talk to some of the grace believers who email me who don't have a grace church, and they'll tell you how tough it is. But here, there's something you need to know about the Apostle Paul. As he was exhorting those brethren in Macedonia there, he was going through some tough times himself. 
look what he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2.12 and 13. When I came to Troas, which is where you have to go through to get there, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from Troas into Macedonia. And Macedonia is where we are here, where Paul's doing all this exhorting. That means that he had come to Macedonia feeling so spiritually broken that, as it says there, he didn't even enter an open door, a wide open door to preach the gospel of Christ. And listen, Paul never passed out an open door to preach the gospel. That means while he was exhorting these brethren in Macedonia, he was going through some awful times on his own, personally. And you know what? I'm no better than Paul. There's times when I come here to exhort you from the scriptures, and I got things going on in my life. Just like Paul did. But when that happens, folks, I just do what Paul did and continue serving the Lord. The Apostle Paul knew that that is the best way to deal with all of life's troubles. And I know it too. And now you know it as well. And maybe you're thinking, well, how troubled could Paul have been? I mean, after all, he was the great apostle Paul. <laughs> well, later in that same Second Corinthian epistle, in the seventh chapter, he said in verse 5, when we were coming to Macedonia, that's where we are, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Did you ever feel that way? Trouble on every side? Without are fightings in your family? Or fightings where you work? Or fightings in your country? And within are, are the fears of what all that fighting are going to do to your family and your job and your country. Do you know where to look for comfort? Well, to the Lord, of course. <laughs> but do you know where to find the Lord's comfort in the dispensation of grace? Well, look where Paul found it in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 6. Nevertheless, God, that comforted those that are cast down, like I was, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Paul was comforted by the fellowship of his fellow worker in the faith, Titus. And there you've got another reason that you need to be in church. You need fellowship just as much as you need exhortation from the Word of God. Don't be looking to God to comfort you and 
and then ignore the place where you're most likely to find God's comfort. That's not how it works. But the coming of Titus, that wasn't the only thing that comforted Paul, as he went on to say in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 7. And not by his coming only was I comforted, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you, Corinthians, when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice not just for Titus for coming in his fellowship, but I rejoice the more when I heard that. Paul was also comforted by this good report that Titus brought him from Corinth. You see, it was here in Macedonia that Titus told Paul how well the Corinthians took it when when they read that rip-snorting first Corinthian epistle. They took it like men. And they, they mourned over their sin. And they fervently loved him for that shellacking that, they, that he gave them in that first letter. And then, in that next verse in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul told them something that shows you that in many ways he was just like you and me. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 7. And verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent. Well, here Paul admits that after he wrote that rip-snorting first epistle, threatening to come and spank him with that rod of correction, after that, he repented that he had written it. Because after he sent it, he began to do what you and I do. Well, at least I do. I don't know about you. He began to second-guess himself. Did you ever send an email, hit send, and later on think to yourself, I really wish I hadn't said what I said in that email. I don't know about you, but it, it makes me feel good to know that Paul wasn't always sure that he did the right thing. Because I feel that way myself often. Now sometimes our regrets, they turn out all right as they did for Paul here. He finished that passage in 2 Corinthians 7 verses 7 to 9 saying, I rejoiced for I perceived that the same epistle hath made you sorry. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. That's the thing that made him feel good. Listen, Paul was ready to go there and clean their clock and clean their plow, but he changed his mind when they repented. Now here's the thing about the Corinthians, folks. They still had a long way to go, spiritually speaking. But they had shown a willingness to change. 
And that's all that God expects of you. If you're here this morning, no, no matter where you're at in your spiritual life, show that willingness to change. Show that willingness to be open to God's instructions. Now, before we read on in verse 3 of Acts chapter 20, I need to point out that it was from Macedonia here that Paul wrote that second epistle to the Corinthians. We know that because of what it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5, 8, 1, 9, 2, and 4. You'll get it. <laughs> I just took a sprinkling from what he says there. When we were coming to Macedonia, so he's writing this Corinthian from Macedonia, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. He says, now that I'm here, let me tell you about these churches. I boast of you to them of Macedonia. So he's, he's there in Macedonia. If they of Macedonia come with me. So here you see that's where he wrote the second epistle. Now you're probably thinking, well, why should I care about that? <laughs> well, the reason you should care where Second Corinthians is written from and how the things that we're reading here in Acts jive with Paul's epistle is that it proves that the Bible is the Word of God the way that all these things mesh perfectly together. Uh, sure, they, sometimes you have to kind of piece them together like we're doing this morning. But you know what? That's even more proof that the Bible's the Word of God. When the police question two suspects, if their stories don't jive, well, then they know that they're lying, right? But if their stories jive too easily, then they suspect what we call collusion. They suspect that the suspects got together and rehearsed their, their lying stories to make them match together easily. And the fact that these comparisons between the book of Acts and Paul's epistles, the fact that they're not easy to piece together is proof that the stories are true and that the Bible writers didn't get together to make them match so easily. Well, after Paul wrote 2 Corinthians from Macedonia, Verse 2 says that he went to Greece to make that visit that he promised to the Corinthians. A much more peaceful one now that he's heard that they had repented. And it says in verse 3 of Acts chapter 20 in your Bible, And there in Greece he abode for three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. Now, if you've ever wondered how long it took Paul to write one of these epistles that we're, we're talking about here, 
We know it didn't take longer than three months because we know that it was during those three months in Greece, in Corinth, that Paul wrote the book of Romans. You know that because of what it says in your next reference in Romans 16.23. Gaius, mine host, saluteth you. And we know that Gaius lived in Corinth. He was a Corinthian. You know that because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.14. I thank God I baptized none of you but Gaius. He was one of them. He was a Corinthian who hosted Paul for three months while he wrote the book of Romans. I mean, three months. Here you thought that you had house guests that seemed like never want to leave. No. Well, but here, as he's writing Romans, I think Satan is watching that and thinking, oh, we can't have this. <laughs> we got to put a stop to this epistle being written. So it's not surprising what you read there in verse 3, that the Jews laid wait for Paul. That means they set a trap to kill him. And Satan was behind that. You know it. But then Paul got wind of it and managed to escape that assassination plot. And the way that he escaped that plot is different than the way God came to his rescue back in Acts 16. Remember when he was in jail in Philippi? What did God do? He sent an earthquake to spring him out of jail. But here, God is slowly phasing out the dispensation of miracles for us. And here, Paul was saved from this murderous plot by just thinking the situation through as an adult son and rescuing himself. Did you notice in verse 3 that it says Paul was about to sail to Syria? But when he heard about this Jewish plot to kill him, he, he purposed to go to Macedonia instead. That's because he knew the Jews were, were waiting for him, setting that trip trap <laughs> down by the ship. So he took a land route instead to go to Macedonia. And here's the point. Now that the dispensation of miracles is fully passed, you and I have to save ourselves from difficult situations the same way Paul did. By thinking things through as adult sons and Rescuing ourselves, right? Although sometimes it does help to do what the Beatles said and get by with little help from your friends. <laughs> but now, after this attempt on his life, Paul made another smart adult son decision. And he decided from this point out he was going to continue on his travels with some bodyguards. <laughs> Look at verse 4. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopatar, 
of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secondus, and Gaius of Derby. That's another Gaius. The other one was from Corinth. And Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus, seven bodyguards. <laughs> and did you notice that those bodyguards came from a number of different places there? That's because Paul was carrying money from those different places. And these guys were also there to guard that money, not just Paul. And I'm talking about a lot of money. Money that Paul had collected to give to the saints that he mentions in your next reference in Romans 15, 26. The poor saints which are at Jerusalem. You'll remember that at Pentecost in Acts 1 and all the way through chapter 4 there, it says that in Jerusalem they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Neither was there any among them that lacked. There were no poor saints in Jerusalem then. Why not? For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the prices of the things that were sold, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. If you know what was going on there, God had miraculously empowered those, those Jewish kingdom saints to live unselfishly for each other to get through the tribulation that was coming when believers aren't going to be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. And because of that miraculous empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they didn't lack for a thing. But when the Jews rejected the kingdom, God withdrew the Spirit and all that power and suddenly the saints in Jerusalem who had no lack became poor saints. And since they became poor because of no fault of their own, God made sure they got a little help from their friends. Read about that in Galatians 2, 9 and 10. James, Cephas, or Peter, and John gave to me and Barnabas, Paul says, the right hands of fellowship that we should remember the poor. And then Paul adds there the same which I was also forward to do. They didn't have to beg me. I was glad to do it. Those apostles asked Paul to help those poor saints. Paul was forward to do it by, by going to take up a collection among all these churches that we see him visiting in the book of Acts and then go to deliver it in Jerusalem like he says in your next reference in Romans 15, 25 and 26. Now I go unto Jerusalem to minister to those four saints. For it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are in Jerusalem. Paul collected money from the saints in Achaia, that's where Greece is, where Corinth is, 
and Macedonia, and he's and he was heading to Jerusalem to give it to the poor saints here in Acts chapter 20. And what does Paul teach us about how churches should handle the money they get in their collections? In case you forgot, we find out in your next reference when we read what happened when Paul sent Titus to collect the money that the Corinthians had collected. 2 Corinthians 8, 16 to 19, Titus went unto you Corinthians. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. This guy is a famous believer. And he's famous for being praiseworthy. And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace. When Paul sent Titus to collect their money, their contribution to the poor saints there, he chose a man to go with him to make sure that Titus wasn't tempted to abscond with the money. Titus was a great man of God, but the greatest of men can fall, folks. And he sent somebody with him, it says. The brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And, as it says at the end there, this is also a guy that the churches chose to go to. So he was a man who was trusted by Paul and by the churches. And we know why he sent all those men to go. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 20-22, Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance of a lot of money, folks, which is administered by us to the poor saints, providing things honest, to providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, another God, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things. We've talked about this every time we take our, put out our financial statement here at Faith Bible Church. Paul sent those men with the collection money to keep things honest, not only in the sight of God, and not just in the sight of saved men, but also in the sight of unsaved men. And, as it says there, he sent another guy who proved diligent in other areas. That's why we put out that financial statement every year, folks, so that all the saved members of our church here know that we spent the Lord's money honestly. And if our books are ever checked, <laughs> well, unsaved men will know that we were honest with the money as well. You know, when unbelievers hear about a church getting caught being dishonest with money, <laughs> they use it to attack the Lord's work, don't they? And they use it to discredit Christianity. Some of them even use it as an excuse not to listen to the gospel of salvation that we preach with them. 
So listen, churches that misuse money, they're going to have an awful lot to answer for at the judgment seat of Christ. I know of a grace church where the treasurer embezzled the church's money. Right before the turn of the century, because he thought that all the bank's computers were going to fail and wipe out any trace of what he did because of that Y2K thing. How many of you remember the Y2K scare where all the computers were supposed to crash? Well, he went to jail. And the church's reputation was damaged. Because it gets in the newspaper, folks. And I'll have to tell you that some people... They never forget things like that. This is so important. Paul said it again in your next reference in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-3. Concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatians, do ye, on the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, and when I come, whomsoever you'll approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. Paul allowed some of the Corinthians to go with the Corinthian collection because he knew that believers aren't just worried about the money getting stolen. He knew that believers like to know that the money they gave to the Lord's work for a specific purpose ended up getting spent for what they gave it for. You know, I get emails at BBS all the time from all over asking for money. And sometimes it's a pretty good cause. But I tell them, that the money people give Brian Bible Society is, is given to us to promote the grace message. And we dare not betray their trust by spending it in other ways. It would be a betrayal of their trust. And all these bodyguards from all these different places there in verse 4, they were to make sure that their money went to those poor saints. And, as we mentioned, the bodyguards were there to help guard the money, too, not just to guard Paul. Listen, it was well known that Paul was taking up this, this huge collection. You can't, you can't go around uh, collecting money and keep it a secret. And that's why in your last reference... In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul talked about in that passage all the things that he was in danger of, and he said, one of them, he said, I'm in perils of robbers. Now, Paul wasn't worried that robbers would jump in and take his own money. <laughs> I, if it, I bet you Paul would have given a robber his money as, as he gave him the gospel <laughs> if he got jumped like that. No, he was worried that the robbers would take the Lord's money. So he carried it with these bodyguards here. Well, finally, we know that 
This is where the Apostle Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, this is where he joins up with Paul and these bodyguards because of what it says in the last verse of our text in verse 5. These going before tarried for us. Luke was waiting for him at Troas. Now, maybe that's because maybe that's because Paul needed doctoring. We know from the book of Colossians that Luke was a doctor, right? So maybe he needed some medical attention from Dr. Luke. But you know what? Maybe he just needed the comfort of another old friend. Like the kind of old friends we have here in our fellowship at Faith Bible Church. And the kind we make every Sunday here at Faith Bible Church when we take the time to talk to somebody we've never talked to before. Why don't you consider doing that today after the Lord's Supper, of course. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so very thankful for all of the things that you've done for us in Christ and for the the instructions that you give us. You have the audacity to give us a book that goes into great detail about our lives, where to find comfort, how to give money. And we know if we take the time to learn what you have to say, that we'll be walking in the way that you would have us to walk in, honoring you and honoring the Savior who died for us. As we pray in the Savior's name, amen. amen. Tell you what, let's, uh, let's sing our little closing hymn after we have the observance of the Lord's Supper. I understand some men are going to help me with that, so meet me in front of this. And now, if you have to go, that's all right, but you're more than welcome to remember the Lord with me, or with us in this way. If you have your Bible still handy, why not open it with me to that same 1 Corinthian epistle that we were talking about and the 11th chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to begin a a brief reading in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, and if you need help finding it, just grab the the church Bible there, and it'll be on page 1222, page 1222. Here, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us about something that happened in the last hours of our Savior's life. He and his 12 apostles sat down to eat 
the Passover meal, as good Jews under the law always did. But at the conclusion of that, well, actually I think it was during that, they sa- it says that he instituted this observance. And uh, we read about it in verse 23. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks for the bread, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do ye in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as often as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death until he come. Now, it's been a while since we observed the Lord's Supper, so I need to remind you that when the Lord said, this is my body, he's saying this represents my body. And when he said, this is my blood, he was saying it was a representation of his blood. And as you also notice there, the reason we partake of these physical elements is to remind us that the Lord had a physical body with physical blood, a body that he was willing to allow to be crucified blood that he was willing to allow to be shed for the remission of our sins. And that's why we partake of it as a remembrance of that which paid for our sins. Don't follow the teaching that says that this somehow helps us to get our sins paid for by partaking of it. Because that's not what Paul is saying here at all. Well, at this time, I'm going to ask the brethren to pass the bread, which represents the Lord's body. And in case you forgot, our tradition here at Faith Bible Church is that while the elements are being passed, I allow you to give a word of testimony or whatever's on your heart. Because... Sunday after Sunday, you come here and you hear me minister to you and talk to you, but uh, this is your chance to um, share a prayer request, share an answered prayer mention. Whatever's on your heart, we allow you to do that at this time. Beverly, did I see your hand? I just lost a friend uh, two days ago, and uh, very strong faith. Stayed faithful all through a lot of suffering and a lot of pain and stuff. And just what a difference it is to lose somebody who believes. And she was a believer. She was a strong believer. Well, that is a that's a great comfort. Uh, uh, 
that's that's crunch time, you know, times like that. And uh, I don't know what the world does without the the assurance that we find in God's Word about where we're going to spend eternity and what we'll find in the moments right after we take our last breath. Anyone else? Let me take two back. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this, this reminder of the reality of a, of a man who lived 2,000 years ago. And not just any man, the God-man. The man who had no sins of his own to pay for, but was willing to die for ours. We thank you for it, and we thank you for it in his name. Amen. to pass the cup and once again give you that same opportunity to share something with your church family that maybe you shared with somebody individually. You know, the Lord said something about the peace that he gave. He said, I give you peace, not as the world gives. And the reason is because the peace that the Lord gives us is permanent. And it's not based on temporary things that can change. It's based on the eternal realities in God's word. Yes, Ray. Just thankful to have an assembly close to the house that has leaders and teachers that are not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ nor of Paul and that wonderful gospel and dispensation of grace and, uh, it's changed my life and I'm very very thankful uh, for men and women who stand for this truth I thank God for all of you uh, you know I, I work really hard on these messages and it's just such an encouragement to me when you're here to hear them. Uh, Grace pastors love the Word of God enough to where we would probably do it if uh, nobody showed up. (laughs) 
But it's such a blessing uh, to have a church that uh, the people listen. I, I see your faces while I'm sharing the Word of God, and, and uh, I see it when I travel to these other churches and, as well. Now, there's all kinds of really big places you can go to preach and pastor, but a lot of them, they're not used to getting into the details of the Scriptures, like I like to do, and evidently like you like to hear. Let's thank God for the the cup. Heavenly Father, uh, we think of what your word says about blood. Law of Moses, the book of Leviticus, it says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And we know that when the Lord was willing to give his blood, it means he was willing to give his life. And as we also know from your word, that uh, greater love has no uh, uh, no man than a man who is willing to give his life for his friends. And, and we think of how the Apostle Paul tells us that your son and our Savior was willing to give his life for his enemies. For when we were enemies, you reconciled us to yourself by the death of your son. So we thank you for this which represents that blood. And we thank you in his name. Amen.